We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Aaron Hughes. Aaron has played in over 400 Premier League games for Newcastle, Fulham, Aston Villa, QPR. He made his Newcastle debut in 1997, over 20 years ago at the New Camp. And he's still going strong today in the Scottish Premier League with Hearts. He's also played in over 110 games for Northern Ireland. So fellow countryman, he grew up about 15 miles down the road. He was a year older than me. So I'd always heard about him when I was growing up. I didn't know him, but I'd followed his path since he went to England and obviously breaking into the Northern Ireland squad, followed his career through then. So very, very excited to get him on the podcast for a number of reasons. I wanted to ask him about Sir Bobby Robson and his role and his development, what it was like to play for him, what it was like to play in that Newcastle team with the characters of Shearer, Speed, Bellamy, Batty. Then moving on to his career through Fulham, playing for Roy Hodgson, that Fulham team that almost won the Europa League. What was that experience like? What was Hodgson like? Uh, going to Australia and then playing down Hearts with Ian Cathro, a different type of manager. So his exposure to different types of coaches has been amazing. He's also worked with Michael O'Neill and recently then the revival of Northern Ireland football with an unbelievable campaign in the Euros and a really successful last five years there. So I wanted to get his, his insight on, on how cultures have changed. He's in his role as an experienced player as well. And then also how he views coaching just overall from 20 odd years as a professional. Not only his views on player development, but his views on coach development, what separated the top coaches from the coaches that struggled, and his views on coaching as a community as he, as he looks to finish his playing career, as he looking to go into coaching and all that good stuff. So Aaron was really, really, really generous with his time and his insight was as deep as I had expected it to. So you're gonna really enjoy this. It's, a, it's an insight into coaching, it's an insight into playing, it's an insight into professionalism, it's an insight into humility, and, and he is top, top class. So thanks so much to Aaron for doing this. As always, interested to hear your thoughts, your feedback, please, please, please give it a, give it a like, give it a review on the iTunes page. Um, any feedback, give me a shout, at Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram, Coach Kernin on Facebook, Gary at modernsoccercoach.com if you want to shoot me an email. Thanks for listening. Here's Aaron. Enjoy. Aaron, thanks so much for joining me this morning on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. You're welcome. 20 plus years as a top professional footballer. What's the secret? Um, do you know what? <laughs> uh... I don't I don't I don't know if I'm honest um probably a little bit of luck with injuries um you know I've touched would have never had anything too serious that's been been one one thing um and, and 
just enjoying what I do and, and, and having a, a motivation the last few years, you know, with especially with being involved with the national team and, and having a bit of success going to the Euros and this year just, you know, narrowly missing out and maybe going to the World Cup, you know, that those are big, you know, motivating factors. So it sort of keeps me going in the day-to-day stuff as a, you know, the, the big prize at the end of it. Um, yeah, and sometimes forget that, uh, you know, I've been in it so long. I still, in my head, I still sort of feel them in my twenties and then sort of realise actually I'm I'm not I'm a little bit further down the line than that these days. So but uh, I I've the, the biggest it's been it's been enjoyable. That that's that's been the you know the biggest thing. I think I enjoy what I do and enjoy going and do the day to day stuff and as I said, being lucky with injuries that my body sort of allowed me still to do it. Um so it's 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 something I've never really really thought about really because it's just it's, it's what I've done and what I've enjoyed. It seems like that's the big thing for footballers is that enjoyment of driving in every day. You still have that, obviously. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was sort of again one of the factors of, um, sort of choosing to continue to play. You know, over the last the last few years, it's sort of I've come to. There's been a couple of times where I've been at a point of making a decision to to you know to, to wrap it up, to keep going, and it was really sort of asking myself, well, one, you know, what's what's my motivation. Um, to start with and then secondly you know kind of kind of still go in and sort of you know compete at at that level do you know mentally be able to go in and, and, and do what I need to do day to day that allows me to you know to go then and, and compete at that level uh, on a you know on a weekend whenever it is or, or with a national team and um, the answer to that was obviously yes I still you know still had that drive and that motivation to do it so you know there, there was never any any sort of other other thought then to to do anything otherwise Kenny Daglish gave you your debut at Newcastle nice little easy game for you half time at the new camp I, I did, a few years ago yeah. <laughs> how did he prepare you for that moment how did he know you were ready or how did he mentally get you ready do you know what I, I, I got I don't think there was any sort of mental preparation or anything like that. I think it was more you know, certainly not on the day to, you know, to turn around and go right. You're you're ready. You're going in. It wasn't like a plan thing that it was going on at half time. I think we'd uh, one of our centre halves had come off during the first half, and then we'd uh, one of our other ones then came off at half time, or something like that. And so literally for about five minutes to go before I started the second half, I just got uh, you know just turned around and went like get ready. You're going on. So I didn't have any time to think about it or any time like that. I just literally had to get my get myself together and get out in the pitch it's I suppose it's the the work you do again day to day and and being in and around the first team and training them for a period of time before that that maybe he sees enough to go well you know I think if I throw him in here he's ready to go um but no there was there was no sort of no preparation or any sort of mental build-up other than just day-to-day training it was just get your shin pads on your you know you're going on do you almost think that's a bit refreshing today where you might have a coach preparing you for four weeks for that moment? Yeah, maybe I didn't have any, any time to sort of overthink it, if I was honest. Uh, I, just, I, just had to, I just had to get ready and go on and then, you know, hope and rely on, you know, I did, I did okay and that sort of the senior players around me sort of helped me out and everything. Um, yeah, sometimes maybe people do overthink things um, and... and uh, well, I was actually going to say, sort of back then, there there wasn't really a thought process of mentally preparing, you know, to get ready. You sort of, when you were a young lad in and around the first team, you, you learn, uh, you learned everything day to day, um, and it was up to you, sort of pick things up. There was never really anyone, you know, taking you to the side and 
and breaking everything down and you know giving your pat on the, on the back and, and what have you and go oh, you, you know you've done well there this is what you're good at you just you had to learn and almost like you were just dropped in at the deep end and you either had to, to swim or or you know you sunk to the bottom so it, it, the game's obviously changed a lot now in the, in the 20 years since since that that happened um but in a way i guess maybe it was it, it, it helped me a little bit that i didn't have time to think about it and i just had to go out and just rely on you know what i've been doing day to day and all the, the sort of the the experience or the, the little amount of experience i had at that age of just being in and around the first team and, and learning from those guys day to day i moved away from uh, county tyrone similar to yourself when i was <laughs> when i was 18 long yeah. way from home but uh looking back now in hindsight it was a really safe environment in north carolina the sun shone every day there was i was in zero pressure on my football and there was a you know really good group of people around me but i struggled a lot with homesickness and preparing for this chat with you, you went at 15 or 16 to a pro club that was a tough environment, that was cold weather, that was passionate fans, but they were expecting a lot and coaches that expected a lot. How did you struggle or did you struggle with homesickness? Probably, I mean, it's, it's there's a sort of big difference as well. And I was only sort of a, an hour an hour on a plane away, not even at forty five minutes on a plane could have taken me home. Um so even though I was away, I was never really that far away and I, I always had, you know, someone coming over every now and again to, to visit. So it wasn't maybe maybe as bad. Um I think probably the uh, after the first sort of couple of months excitement, I think I remember I think it was around the time everyone, all my friends who had sort of grown up with been at school I think when they were all going back to school again to start their, you know, the next school year, I think, and I was chatting with them and, and, and they were all doing the same thing we've always done. I think then it sort of hit me a little bit that, oh, it's different now, you know, I've sort of come away and I've gone to do my own thing and, and they're doing that. And I think then maybe for, a, you know, a few weeks, uh, the realisation of, of not being home and, and being away from them, you know, was there. But very quickly, I think that disappeared just because of the the nature of, you know, being you know going in and training every day and having something to take my mind off it and having a purpose and a and a job so to speak and and as I said being being not really that far away from home it was it it wasn't you know I wasn't miles away I wasn't the other side of the world where you know it was going to take me two days to get back or anything um, so it, it 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 was there a little bit but it wasn't it wasn't too bad Bobby Robson let's talk about him what yeah. role did he play as a first of all as a coach. And then, as a almost as a as a mentor, as a leader, he was huge. He was, you know, like obviously Kenny gave me my, my debut in that, which I'll be so forever grateful because he had the, the confidence to throw me in and sort of get me rolling, so to speak. But I'd say it was Sir Bobby who sort of gave me my first real run in the side and, and stuck with me and, and, and gave me a, a run of consecutive games that. You know, I managed to find my feet, and from then built up. You know, not just having a few games, but going through a, you know a few seasons. Then, um, and he was huge. He was such a, a big, big character. Uh, and for young players, he was massive because he, he he believed in young players. You know, he gave you he gave you a chance, and if if you were able to take it, you know, he'd he'd uh, he'd reward you. He'd look after you, and um, he was just super enthusiastic about everything. You know. Uh, everything and you know and not just in football and life he just spoke with so much enthusiasm about it, it was very, very very hard not to go into a game or, or or you know go into whatever just feeling good and feeling 
you know you had a purpose to do something um and he, he was he was humble he, he he made you understand you know the at Newcastle at the time you were you were wearing the Newcastle shirt and what that meant to the people who came and watched the games and you know paid for the tickets and growing up in the northeast you know he he knew what it meant to 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 the area uh you know and how people looked up to the players so he really sort of emphasised that in, in everything in everything that we did. Um, and for a young player, obviously, you need that. You need that sort of bit of leadership and guidance and and someone there to, to, to remind you what it's all about and keep your feet in the ground. And he, he was brilliant like that. Um, and from from a football point of view, um, it, it, tactically, it, it, I would say, you know, there was nothing... Nothing sort of unbelievably weird or wonderful or special that you'd look back and go, "Well, that was new." Because he, he just kept things very, very simple. But it was how, how he sort of the enthusiasm he put behind it, and how he made you feel going out onto the pitch, and what it was to play for the club, uh, you know, and play for the team. And that, I think, that's where that's where he really, really excelled. Um, you know, I can remember. I think we we had a mid-season break somewhere uh, out in Spain. I think we'd been knocked out of the FA Cup, so we had a free weekend, so we went out. I remember we, we th- there was another team there at the same time, and a few of the lads, I think he'd had at Barcelona or knew him from his time out in Spain. And when you saw how that how they greeted him, you, you know you realised how much of an impact and how much of a you know a, a huge person he was in football because these guys you know played Barcelona top level, you know, and they were they were delighted to see him. So you could see that just everywhere he went, and anyone who spoke about him always speaks very very highly of him. And, you know, the guy was a—he was an absolute sort of sort of hero and a legend, and, and certainly for me as a as a kid, like he really, he gave me my you know my my real first run in football. Watched a documentary on him a few years ago that had like Lineker goes into the spends a day with with him in the training complex. Yeah, he, yeah. He didn't he didn't let you leave dinner until everyone was done together. Yeah, that was a thing that he brought in was that. Um, you know, we, we we all went in and we ate together. Um, and I think I can't remember if we were okay to maybe, maybe okay to like start dinner, but you couldn't leave until everyone was in. And you know, he he basically said you could go. Um, and sometimes you know he'd get lost in conversation with other coaches, and the lads would be ready to go, and they'd be they'd sort of be like subtly tapping the salt shakers and that on the table, sort of like knocking them on the table to 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 give the the staff a heads up. The lads are maybe ready to go. And I think he, you know. Everyone thought oh, he mustn't be able to, to to hear it, but I think he I think secretly he knew he could hear it, and he, he knew the lads were ready to go, so he just kept them waiting that extra five minutes, just to just to um, you know keep the voice hanging around. But um, no, it's things like you know things like that. That that that's what he brought in at the time. He he brought in he, he changed the culture a lot in the, in the side. You know, it was it was very much like lads would just finish training, rush up, eat their dinner, shoot off. Um, there was I'd say there was there was more of a, a togetherness in that sense there was more of a um, uh, you know unity people eating together just spend a bit more time together uh, it's amazing but you don't you, over my career I've seen it a lot like you don't realize you know that how much impact that can have just sitting down as a, as a team and, and eating together um, you know day in day out but what that can do just uh you know the, the team morale and stuff so and he always see he'd seen that himself over over his career and everything and, and he used it and those sort of when I get asked you know the, the, where's my best place what's my favorite sort of um place I've played through my career it's it's, it's always hard to pick one but um because I've had some good times everywhere I've been 
but certainly though that that sort of few years that uh, what it was at Newcastle Sir Bobby's right up there at the top just because of the success we had but just how much I enjoyed being around the place day to day I've already had the unique ability to to treat players differently every player was different um, arm around the shoulder to one kick up the backside to the other uh, which one did you require most of <laughs> the time <laughs> um, no, I, th- I think I think I was alright I could get sort of just I don't think I ever had the arm around the shoulder I don't think that was it again I think that wasn't really much of a thing when I was coming through as a mm. as a young player um, as I said it's changed a lot now and players are you know maybe treated a little bit differently on, on their on their character and everyone's an individual and, and you know certainly that's a that's a huge thing and I can see why you know you know, you can't sort of blanket everyone with the same thing. Um, but sort of when I was coming through, it was just a case of, look, you go in and you get it done. If you don't get it done, someone else will come in and do it instead. So you just had to get your head down and do it. Who was the? Who were the big youth coaches at Newcastle that, that kind of prepared you for that? Um, at the time, um, John Carver was there. Uh, he was there um, and Alan Irvine. Um, he was there at the time too. He'd sort of come in uh, under Kenny. Um, and JC, he, JC was still like when I first was breaking through. JC was still involved a lot with a sort of the youth team, the academy, and then once uh, it was after that, then that he moved up with the first team as well. So I got to work with him sort of at, at both levels, um, and Alan Irvin as well. And uh, Steve Clark was involved too. Um, managed to work with him when he, he came in under Rude. Um, all like you know, you, you look now and they've all gone on, um, you know to to manage at the top top level, you know, after being coaches, but they were all really, really good coaches. I, I really enjoyed working under all three of them. And the co- coaches in the US, we've almost assumed a role as a mentor in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know in professional football in England, it's difficult to balance that kind of relationship with pressure from fans and media, etc. Um, how important is it for a young player growing up in that professional environment to be to have older players that you can look up to peers i think it's it's huge actually i think i think that's where you learn you know you can go out and and, and coaches you know you, you get obviously you get your tactics and things like that and and, and everything you, you sort of do on the pitch tactically if i can say that if that's the right way to put it but you learn all the little subtle sort of things that what what makes a professional footballer from the older players? You watch how they train. You watch what they do off the pitch. You watch, you know, do they come in? Do they get in their car? Do they go home, or do they go in and they go to the gym and they do all the little things that they need to do to make sure they can go and train again? At, you know, the next day at the same level. You know, you watch what they eat. All, all those little things that are. It, it's one of those things. Almost, you, you you can't coach someone. You, you can, but but you can't because. The best way to learn it is just being in that environment and seeing what goes on, um, and almost getting a feeling of like, well, hang on, that that guy's you know, ten years older than me. He's played three hundred games. He's done this. He's done that. If he can, you know, if that's what he's doing to get himself ready, then maybe I should be doing something like that because that's maybe what I need to do. You know, it's those little things. That, then obviously you've got all the, the tactical side and being on the pitch and working on your touch and all that. That that's that's all a separate issue. You know. You, you can work on that all day long, um, but it's it's seeing those little subtle things that, that the senior pros do. I think um, that 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 what you really learn from, and I was really lucky in that sense that I was sort of thrown into that environment at a, at a young age, and so you know was surrounded by that. And you know I think that's helped me a lot as I've as I've grown older. 
Yeah, looking at that squad that you broke into was just the characters in it. Shearer, David Barry, Rob Lee, Stuart Pierce, Gary Speed. Yeah. You you mentioned those subtleties, those things that you picked up from. What were what were some of the biggest ones? Um well just like Gary Speed there, if you want to mention him, like he was at the front every preseason. You know, didn't every preseason he was at the front. Um, you know, and you young young lads coming in who were good runners and, you know, good good athletes and stuff. But he was still at the front and he was, you know, <laughs> you know, whatever twelve, fifteen year years older than us type thing. Mm. Um Thing, things like that and it wasn't that he necessarily was the fittest but he just that that was his level he set his levels and he, he worked to them every day um things like that and like sort of being in that environment of of your standards of what you work to every day that that, that was that was probably the biggest thing of like you know you have you have standards and they don't they don't drop because if they drop, you get you get found out very very quickly, and it shows up very very quickly because the senior pros are always keeping their standards so high that you almost have to like go above that just to be able to compete with them on a day and day day out basis. So it's 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 that levels that they set uh, when you know obviously when I was a young lad that was always trying to sort of maintain or com- you know get to that level and compete with that level. Um, so as if anything, so as not to look stupid. You know, you didn't want to be on a football pitch and just look so out of place. You were just fighting so hard to, to almost feel accepted and, and prove that you belonged there. And and that's that's how you that's how you learn and picked up. And you, know, you could do a little bit of like technical work afterwards, grab a coach and maybe work on on certain things. But during the sessions, you know, it was just focused on 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 being competitive, being in there, and just as I said, just trying to train to a standard every day that, that that sort of had you accepted by the older players and then you know even even at sort of 22 23 i was still sort of thinking like have they accepted me yet yeah. um just because you know you just it was always in the back that was how i'd been that's that was the environment i was in that's how i was sort of brought up um you know through those years with the senior lads always looking up to them and always that's where the, the respect came from because that, that's what they did and i was always trying to make sure I, you know i was um, as a, at least at least be on par with them. I, I would imagine it would be tough as well because the patience level of someone like I'm just Alan Shearer. I would guess he wouldn't suffer many fools out on. The, you know they would have a standard of working, and if you don't meet that standard, they would let young players know. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's exactly how it is, and and and, and I think that's what sort of touched on earlier. Maybe it's changed slightly now, where. Sometimes you can't be that way with every single person because some lads will be able to take it. Some lads, will, it'll affect their confidence a little bit. But back then, that's just how it was. Like if you were in the first team, they just took it as right. You're in here because the, the managers put you in because you're able and capable. So you have to show that you're able and capable. And if you don't, we'll make sure and let you know that you're not meeting the standards that's that's being asked of you know day to day. Um, and, and again, that was just... <laughs> almost an element of fear of being shouted at that kept you going day in day out but um no that that was just you know that was that was how it was and that's just what you had to deal with and it it wouldn't be something that i'd say like i was sort of th- sat thinking about every day because it was just that's how it was that was what was normal so you just went in the mornings you got ready and you went out and you trained and you just you know you, you, you trained as hard as you could just to make sure that you were you know you you weren't sort of falling below those levels how patient are you or impatient are you with young players today that that are obviously share a, a lot of different behaviors with the humility or getting things too early 
Do you just shrug um, your shoulders? Do you, do you address it? It's, it's you know, it's it's one of those things. It's uh, I, I think like I, I think again because of sort of the way uh, or how it was when I was coming up through, and I, and I learned a lot just from watching the older the pros and what they're doing. I think that the, the best example you can set is by how you train and 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 what you do. So I sort of. Focus more on making sure I try my best to do the right things, to train as hard as I can, to do and do all the little other things around football that I need to do to keep me going. And then you know it's up to the young players to see that. Obviously, if there's there's one or two sort of you know not not doing it, you know you might have a, a word with them, you know a quiet word, or even offer a little bit of advice here and there, and and and, and maybe show them and 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 things that sort of you've learned through the years that they're maybe not doing it not because they're not trying it's just because they don't know or you know they haven't they haven't had that experience so um i, I wouldn't call myself a shouter put it like that mm-hmm. uh, try to be a little bit more constructive in, in that way and and also just try and you know set an example that at least if i do say anything um then i can i can maybe use it in my training to, to back it up there's no point you know shouting and roaring and at, at someone and and everything and screaming at them if, if you're not actually training well yourself or you know setting good standards yourself from a an experienced older players perspective when you get to say 30 plus what's the balance between how much of your game becomes physical maintenance and how much are you still looking to improve and, and do different things or new things um i think it it's a funny one because i i think I think you can always, you know, sort of learn and improve, no matter where you are, and and maybe that because you know, maybe down to exposure to a new manager coming in, that you know, doing something that maybe you've never done in in your entire career or playing a certain way. So there's like, there's always things to be learned, and within that, then you can maybe, you know, if you, if a manager comes in that wants you to you know play out from the back completely as much as possible. Um, you know, then you need to still be sort of brushing up on your on your passing skills, and it's it's not the short ones or the long ones. Sometimes it's those little twenty yard ones along the floor that just get there and no more that you've got to be really accurate with. And uh, you know, if you if you're not really doing that through the week, then you can't expect to go out and do it well on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. So it's there's still this you're still always working on the game and elements like that there, and the 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 the, uh, the technical side of it, I guess, um, and the physical. The physical side of things, I think the game's changed as well. Now, you know, you sort of mentioned the 30-year-old mark, mark there. Um, I think players now are going on longer, um, and I think they're not hitting their peaks a little bit older too. Um, I think just generally just with there's so much more information now uh, in terms of, you know, the well, just physical information, you know, the, the GPS information that you get. Uh, there's a lot more sort of help off the pitch with the medical side of things, the nutritional side of things. There's so much more the players can get access to now that can help them at a younger age, which will then mean that, you know, they're maybe not hitting their peaks to 32 and 33. Um, and I think it's sort of gone are the days of, it's maybe still a, a, a mentality of like, oh, well, a player hits 30 now, he's at the back end of his career. I wouldn't be surprised if, you, you know, you don't see more players playing through now to like 35, 36, 37 at a high level just because of how they're looking after themselves. I visited Fulham in 2007 to watch, uh, watch a bit of training. Roy Hodgson was your manager then? Yeah. I thought he was the 
absolutely brilliant just with the detail and the training and and almost how direct his communication was to the players yeah. getting his point across uh, how was it working with him again Roy Roy was brilliant um, and as I sort of said with Sir Bobby about how it, you know, when I'm asked like certain times or what's the best place I've been in my career and I would say that you know that that couple of years with Bobby's certainly one of them my time with Roy at Fulham is definitely definitely another one um, just because of uh, I felt you know I learned so much like I was 20 28 you know so I, again I wasn't you know I'd say I'd sort of starting to push on maybe we classed as a senior pro then and I was learning new things uh, Roy came in and is as you said his, his level of detail was uh, probably the best I've worked with um, you know to a point where you could it sounds ridiculous, but you could be watching the, you know, so you watch a game back on TV, watching the video, watching the analysis and that, and you could actually see to within about half a yard whether you were in position or not. That's sort of how much detail, you, you know, and you picked up on and you and you just didn't even have to think about it on a pitch. Uh, you know, you just sort of fell into the right position just because of the repetition, the detail, the intensity, the, the directness of his communication uh, on the pitch day to day. Um, and that's that's why I think you know, Fulham had the success it did at the time. Obviously, we had a great group of lads as well um, that were very sort of uh, responded well to to that way of training. And and sometimes you know they, they all they wanted was a five aside, but they accepted the training. You know that it was sort of laughing and go, you know, please just give us a five aside, and because we, we never played five sides, everything was so um, everything was geared towards a Saturday. Uh, you know, Roy was like, a, having a five-a-side and having lads running around in all directions isn't going to benefit us on a Saturday. Whereas if we play a 7v7 structured game, at least you're still working in your position. Um, so sometimes the boys just wanted a five-a-side, but the, it was more of a joke thing because, as I said, because of the success we had with it, because you see the results and see how it's working, you're never really too bothered then. You just you get on with your training day to day. Yeah, I find that really interesting because... You know, without naming names, you've obviously you've come across managers that didn't share that level of detail and and did probably throw a bag of balls out and play five aside most of the time. So yeah. players probably want that in terms of you know coming in and having a bit of crack. But at the same time, how much of it is getting that balance right between what players want and what players need? Yeah, it's, it it is a hard one. I think that that's why I think as well. When I, when I mentioned the group of lads we had, we were lucky too because you had a group of lads that were willing to, you know, they had patience, they had the sort of the 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 intelligence to realise that the, the the purpose behind it and, and when to see the results to to go with it. Uh, as much as as much as we sort of laughed and joked about a little five aside like that, when it came to it, the lads lads worked well through the week, even though you know nine out of ten times you could almost predict what we were going to do in training. Just because it was so repetitive and so to, so sort of precise, um, but it worked for us and it worked for that group group of players. And I, I think the main thing is that we had a structure, we had a way of playing, and every person in the squad, regardless of whether he played every week or not, knew exactly what his, his role was and what was expected of him if he had to come in the team. Because even on on let's say a Monday where it was you know it was a recovery day maybe for the lads who played, and the lads who hadn't played at the weekend went out you know to do a little bit of a you know sort of top up and training, a lot of the, the session would still be structured you know it still 
work on the the, the patterns uh, offensively, defensively. Um, they'd still work on shape. The little games would still be structured where players would play in their positions. Um, and if you know, if it was a let's say that that the session was an attacking session, the lads who were in there who were you know in there as defenders would still be expected to defend how they would defend if it was a defensive session. So you were always working, you were always like switched on and working and doing things that you were going to be doing at a weekend. And I think that was the biggest thing was just the structure behind it and, and everyone knowing their role, everyone knowing exactly what was expected of them. Um, and a lot can be said. Like, yeah, you, you know, you can, dare say, you could you could maybe throw a few little games in and around it now and again too, but the the, the majority of the work and, and any, any sort of... Um, any other places I've been, I think, where, where I've seen now, you know, there's always been success from it, just because you're, you're putting a structure in place where everyone understands and they, and they know their role and they know what's expected of them come a, come a match day. Mentioned there about the game changing over the past you know, 15, 20 years. What do you, what's your views on the biggest change in terms, do you think it's tactical systems at the top level or do you think it's pressure? Um, it's, it's probably both. I mean, there's... There's a lot of, I'd say there's a lot more pressure now. Um, simply, well, the money in the game now creates that pressure, uh, and the demands to like stay on the top flight, and, and there's there's a huge amount of pressure around it, and like everything, players are, are, are you know there's a lot more um, really good tac- uh, technical players in the game now too that that are that are raising the bar and raising the level too, so it's probably a little bit of everything. Um, you know, like if you if you look at Man City, tactically they're they're phenomenal, but they to, to play the way they play, you still need to have that level of player. You know, sometimes they, they for all the sort of tactics and the way they build up, you know, the, the, whoever it is is maybe receiving a ball under pressure with two men around him. He still has to have the ability of controlling it, moving it, and then making the right decision after that. You know, so it's 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 a bit of everything. It's it's I guess it's like everything that evolves. It's. It, it just it gets better. Players come into the game. Good players come into the game, and they they raise the standard of it. And then everyone has to has to try and catch up, and it, it just evolves like that. Mm. Talk about dealing with that pressure then, and and almost that aligning that with your you know getting better as you get experience as a player. Mm. What's your views on experience getting better? Experience as a coach. So you've worked with Bobby Robson, Roy Hodgson, Harry Redknapp. Do they get better dealing with players as they get older, or do we wrongly view these people as stale, old-fashioned? I don't. I mean, I don't. I I would regard Sir Bobby and and, and Roy as two of the best managers I've worked with, and like Roy, you know, talking about Roy, that you know, is tactical and how we were sort of doing more or less the same thing, you know, a lot of the time. And and that could be viewed, you know. Roy had been in the game a long time before he came to Fulham, and I never once thought this is, you know, this is stale or repetitive or this is boring. It it, it was engaging. It was direct to the player. We knew what we knew. It, it challenged. It still challenged us every day. It, you know, you still you were being asked like, again. Go back to maybe standards and levels that you had to hit. You're still being challenged at that level where you have to perform. So. I think that then the experience off the back of that, um, of having, you know, dealing with situations, dealing with players, seeing situations, knowing how to react to them, all, all the experience that comes with that can only make a coach or a manager better. Um, because as I said, like the two, two, two of the best managers I've ever worked with were both, you know, in their, in their 
sort of late sixties going on seventies. You've come full circle then with those types of managers recently with Ian Cathro at Hearts, almost in this new school of manager from a player's point of view. With your experience in the game, do you think the tactical evolution of the game over the past twenty years? You mentioned it earlier. Has the coaching community today blown it out of proportion a little bit? No, it's 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 a hard one because like you know you mentioned Ian, I I liked Ian, I liked his ideas, and and there's maybe other factors that that determine whether or not that's successful. It's not just down to a manager and his tactics, you know, and and, and them not working. Um, it, it's it, it. I mean, it, it. I guess it depends as well. There's different sort of ways of being a coaching manager you can be a manager at the very top level where there's loads of pressure and you have to like you know you need your team to be getting results pretty much week in week out or very soon you find yourself under pressure or i guess there's the coaches and the managers that are developing players on that side of things so there's more time and there's more sort of emphasis on developing players to, to go on to the higher level so i guess it it's it's there's lots of factors i think that can determine the success of of you know a coach and his tactics or you know a team and their tactics, and I think it's not all as straightforward as going well, you know these new ones are you know they they don't actually work. We'll go back to old school or old school's outdated. We need to go with these new ones. It, it's finding a balance of everything. It's I think it's it's known you need the right players into if you want to play a certain way. You need the, the right players in to play that system to start with. You need players that understand it. Um, it's you know then the, the coach how he delivers it. Um, outside factors like the quality of pitches you're playing on week in week out mm-hmm. that can determine if you want to try and pass the ball. But at home it's okay because you have a nice pitch. But away from home, you know the pitches aren't that good. That can throw a spanner in the works now and again. Um, and it's just it's so easy I think from an outside point of view, and uh, it's so easy just to to maybe label something or to to quickly diagnose a problem by just looking at it and going oh well that's not right because of this without really understanding all the different factors that go into you know what makes a team successful and, and not successful the margins the higher you go up the margins are, are so small um you know and what what separates from, from a from a player i think what, what separates the top players what makes them really really good obviously they're technically they're very very good but it's their decision making you know, it's 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 the decisions they make on the pitch. More often than not, they they'll they'll make the right decisions, and and that plays a big part as well. You know, you can you can have all the the greatest tactics and do all the work you can through the week, but ultimately, then when you go out on a weekend, you're relying on the players to make the right decisions too. You've got players that make more good ones than bad ones. Ultimately, you know, generally be more successful. So, it's it's a difficult one to answer just in a. You know, to put down to one way or the other. I just, I, th- I think there's, there's so many factors not these days. It's, it's, it's a, it's a tough one. I, I, everyone assumes that you know when I finish playing, I'll be like, oh, you know, you just go into coaching, and it's like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be a good coach. Do you realize how hard it is being a coach? Mm. <laughs> I see these guys working day in day out, and it's not easy. Um, you know, and everyone, the assumption is just you go and do it. So, uh, yes, there's got to be a lot more understanding, I think, around it. Another aspect of your career that doesn't quite seem to get credit is patience. Now we live in an era where pro and youth players jump clubs if their playing time isn't where they want it to be. Mm-hmm. So going over that, I, look, I looked uh, 
before this and it was year one you made four starts year two 12 starts year three 22 starts at newcastle so it wasn't that you were thrown in and became an overnight starter um there was obviously a, a bill a, a patience level of that there to develop was was this ever a challenge or did you always feel as if you were in the right place no i like i was never again it was probably knowing the place within the you know the senior players you know i was never ahead of myself in that sense that they they wouldn't let you get ahead of yourself if you you know you got a chance to get on the pitch it was because you'd you'd earned it and that was you earned that through what you did day in day out so i i always you know i always felt i was in the right place and i was i was going somewhere but you know, looking at the players that were ahead of me in my position, there was you know never had a sense of well, I should be playing there or anything like that. There, yeah, I was confident with ability and I was confident that you know I, I could do a job if asked, but you know never never in a way that I was impatient, thinking I, you know, I've got, I'm not playing here. I've got to get away. That that was that was never never a thought process. Just because I was learning, I was young, and I was learning the game, and I was learning it from senior pros that had been in the game way way longer and, and and seen done things that you know i'd back then was only sort of hoping that i'd get to so um yeah that, that, i think you, you had to have patience it was just something you it wasn't like a conscious thing i need to be patient here it was just this is this is how it is this is what you have to do you've got to wait for your chance and, and just make sure it's ready when it comes one thing in u.s sports that i've noticed is that players as they progress from that year one, year two, year three, till say year seven, year eight, they almost evolve into a bigger personality. Uh, it might be something to do with marketing or you know the franchise, they, they need big names. You've looked to have remained a quiet person steadily throughout your career. Is that, would that be right? Or is that something that you're a bit different behind the scenes? <laughs> no, I mean, maybe that's just a personality thing um, more than anything. And, um... Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess maybe just it's more personality. It's not it's never been a conscious thing. It's just the way it's been. Um, I probably know a lot of lads that that would be in the, in the same same boat as that. It's maybe I guess maybe the ones in the other side of things that that is why you see them because they're out there and that you know that it is the marketing side of it. And nowadays there's so much more demand sort of from say boot companies and and sponsors and things like that to. You know, if, if they're if they're associated with them, everyone wants their their, their little bit of um, you know they'll want their their five minutes with them for the player to endorse their brand or endorse this. So sometimes it's not even really the player's fault. It's it's just it's the nature nature of what they're being asked these days. Um, and and I think too, it's there's so much uh, you know you think like social media and things now what it, what it is now and what it was back then that that. There just was nothing like that around back then. You know, they've the only time you sort of read about yourself or seen anything was maybe in the local newspaper or on the on the on the TV. And and even with that, football's on now twenty four seven pretty much. You know, you've got all these social media platforms. So even even when you want to try and keep yourself low key, sometimes it can be hard. You know, some of the lads, uh, you know, they, they can't help it just because they're always getting pushed out there, whether it's it's through their own intentions or not. So again, I think that's just that's just how the game's evolved a little bit uh, but certainly in my own, from my own point of view I think it was more just a personality thing um, and being brought up with uh, 
you know, big characters in the dressing room that would, would never let me <laughs> let, never let me get above my station. So maybe that was just uh, that was that was how it was early, uh, you know, early in my career. So it never really changed. Mention that the kind of social media and the scrutiny on players today. Is it harder to to grow and build team spirit without being able to you know socially? Things must have changed over the past ten years. There's is there less group nights out, or how do teams connect now? No, I mean it's still, uh, still that side of it. Still going strong. Yeah, yeah, maybe not to the sort of the extremes of, of of way back when you know, like you know, the night before the game, <laughs> half the team would be down the bar. Uh, the players are, you know, can't can't get away with that these days. But no, there's still. I don't think it's affected teams in that respect I think it's more just it's it's got to be hard for young players coming through now with, with the amount of scrutiny and the amount of sort of impact because even if you want to it's almost it's not even to do with football it's all you almost feel like you're you're left out if you're if you're not on on some sort of social media platform you know you're, you're different if you're not involved in it because just everyone is mm-hmm. but then when you do get involved in it you know it's you just you're there then for everyone to you know throw their opinion in so it's it's got to be so hard for young players now to balance and it is one thing I actually I actually feel for them because I think it's it was hard enough in my day um you know just on the on the the little sort of coverage you'd get anyway you know, never mind what it is what it is these days so it's it's certain certainly something that you know an extra load that young players have to deal with these days over the past few years moving then to uh, on India Australia down south in Brighton, back up north in in Scotland, life as a professional footballer with a family moving around is that does it become harder as the kids get older, or, or is it seen as an adventure in your household? Um, you know, it's, it's a funny one because like I spent probably well up until I left Fulham, I'd pretty much I'd only had three clubs in fifteen years or something, and then all of a sudden over the last four years, I've moved sort of three or four times. So it's it's took a wee bit of getting used to, and I always worried about it when the kids were younger because I thought it would have been harder then. But it's probably easier when your kids are younger because it's it's now like you know when the, my oldest is getting the sort of exam exam year uh, age, it's it's probably harder then because there's more to take into account. But I think the where I was brought up is sort of in the same place all my you know all my life. Life until I moved to Newcastle, um, I think you know, that, and that has advantages of you know having friends that you, you know never lose, t- lose touch with. I think there's also the side of it where when they do move around, you know they they learn to adapt, they make new friends, they see different places. It's it's an experience too, I guess. And I, I think it's as long as, as you, you make sure and keep everything sort of um, stable at home, let's say, uh, you know, and, and and make sure they're okay, and you know, always talk to them, communicate with them, and that. It's got to be seen as adventure. Um, you know, certainly when I was that age, if I'd have gone out to Australia for a year, I think it would have been pretty cool. So, uh, and certainly when I asked my kids about it, you know, they they loved the year out there. They they really enjoyed it. So, you can as a parent, you obviously worry about it. You think, am I doing the right thing? You know, we're moving away, we're doing this, we're upset, and then we're moving them again. But then when you come out the other side and you, and you look back, I think you will. You know, they they've had that experience, and and not everyone that age, you know, get gets a chance to have those experiences too. So. Of course, it has. It, it's got you know pros and cons both ways. You just got to try and you know really enjoy the the pros that come with it. All right, last uh, little section for you, Northern Ireland. Yes, had to address this here. So, um, 
with the success of Northern Ireland in the in the recent Euros, um, I went over to a couple of games as a fan, and was really really impressed. Obviously with the results, but the defensive discipline, in terms of organization, distances, it it just seemed from a coaching point of view that 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 takes hours and hours on the training pitch, but with how does a coach like Michael O'Neill do that without the players kind of losing interest? Here's another defensive session. It's he it just it's it's maximizing the time that we have when we're away, and it was one of those you know when Michael first came in, very you know in comparison I'd say you're very like Roy, you know, his attention to detail is is unbelievable. You know, he is is how he analyzes the games and, and talks to us and and and, and you know our, what our what our the content of our sessions. Uh, you know, it's never wasted time ever. Um, so it's it's something that obviously when when you know we see the success of the Euros and everything, but a lot of people now forget that the campaign before that wasn't a great campaign, um, results wise. But there was a lot of work being done in those games and in those training sessions and in those you know meeting up for the uh, you know the, the training before the games. A lot of work done there that you you eventually then see the benefit of maybe a couple of years down the line. It might take a wee bit longer, obviously, because it's international football and you don't have as much time with everyone. But I think one thing that, that, that Michael did was to make sure that there wasn't, you know, sort of a minute wasted in training and, and everything was focused towards, um, well, focused towards how he wanted us to play, how we were going to get, how we were going to get success from, from, from the team and the players that we had. And then over the, that period of time too, it's, he, one of the things I thought, you know, was for for a long time, you know, turning up for Northern Ireland. Sometimes it it didn't matter if you were playing week in week out or not. It was maybe you know what club you were at. So if you were at a, maybe a higher club, you just naturally then start the game just because it was seen that you were at a higher club. Whereas Michael came in and basically said, "Look, I don't care where you're playing. One, you just for me, it's important that you're playing week in week out. And secondly, if you get the chance to play for you know, you know, get the green shirt, so so to speak." It's then yours to lose, and and that then it what happened was that that it, it gave confidence to maybe lads who hadn't had you know weren't getting much game time that when they did get a game time they had something to sort of really go for and think well this is my shirt I can hold on to, it. and then it meant that the lads who weren't really bothered whether they played or not actually sort of fell out the squad and you know you you ended up with like twenty five lads who all want to be there whether they start the game or not because they all want the same thing going in the same direction. It, it was a it was a whole culture change as well as a tactical change. So then with that, then when you go into the training sessions, you've got, you know, 24, 25 lads that are totally tuned into what you're doing, taking everything on board, going out the next day, same again, you know, analysing the games, analysing the training sessions. And you get to a point where the team almost manages itself in a way. Everyone knows the roles again. Everyone knows what's expected of them knows what's happening and the only little sort of tweaks you need to do then is maybe down to the opposition you're playing obviously you might have to make a few little changes depending on who you're playing you know if you're playing a portugal or someone and you're not gonna you're not gonna have 60 percent of the ball so you've got to sort of know and and adapt to, to how how you're going to win this game with only 25 percent possession whereas if you're playing someone that you know, you know Told you respect someone like say uh, you know a Faroe Islands or someone where you're maybe going to have more of the ball. Then you look to see right, well, how are we going to win the game now that we're going to have seventy percent possession? So it was it's it, it's very hard to sort of just sit and summarize everything in five minutes of the change because there's so many elements to it and how they all 
sort of came together and how each one affected everything. Like I could sit and talk to you about it for for half a day because it's it it, it was as a player it's so it's enjoyable too though you want to turn up because again you're seeing results you're seeing things get better all the little things that maybe got overlooked in the past all of a sudden are are put in place and we're getting success of it and we're going somewhere and, and next minute we're in a euros and you know you couldn't you just well 10 years before that, you just could never see that uh, and then all of a sudden we're sat at the euros and it's you know dreams are coming true I never thought I would see Northern Ireland <laughs> a major tournament. Yeah, for sure. Um, just that you know, you mentioned about detail from a coaching aspect. Mm-hmm. The, going back to then watching, watching even against Germany in the Euros, where again they had they had most of the possession, but the detail mm-hmm. and created a few chances. But the detail of defending individually, of yourself, Macaulay, Evans, Cathcart. You know, I, I just thought if that was an Italian team and you clipped it. You would you'd be talking about it for years. So where was how much of that development was due to you? You've all came from great, very very good academies, systems and setups, and and obviously experience as well. Did is there any element of Northern Ireland development in that there as well? Um. Yeah, I think definitely. Uh, you know, again, because you're playing at that level, and and you're and you're getting to play against sort of that caliber of team you're going to develop through through those years maybe leading up to the euros where we haven't been doing quite well and you're learning the games that that there's definitely even maybe even mentality if if, you know a change in mentality Uh, i think that was a big thing for us too it wasn't just maybe the tactical side of things because everyone's you know everyone's at clubs everyone's you know training day in day out and doing things but when the mental side of it was a big thing too, um, you know, and maybe previously, maybe previously we would have gone into a game against the Germany and started to panic because we didn't have the ball, whereas we sort of knew we were going to go into the game and not have the ball, so we weren't panicking about it. We just concentrated on what we'd sort of talked about and, and, and worked on and things and, and focused on that rather than worrying about, you know, other things. So there was certainly development that side of the game as well as you know the tactical side of tactical side of things um you know and, and even then you can you know you can be as well drilled as you want but you've seen how good germany were that day like they they were they were phenomenal um mm-hmm. so you can't help but you can't help but learn things from that game um you know and, and not necessarily get better from it but just add things to your experience just to to know how to do with situations and decisions you're having to make in, in split seconds you know seeing whether they were the right ones wrong ones that's you know i think that's again going back to a question you asked me earlier you know at my age like it was only a couple of years ago for me and i was i was still learning things in that game what advice would you have in the development stage of, of coaches in northern ireland to say like you know almost reverse engineering the type of person or player that is going to thrive in professional football where would be an area that you would say we need to spend most of our time back home well, um, it's a hard one. Is it, you know, let me ask this, would it be, do we need to do more gym work? Is it developing better athletes? Is it getting psychologists in or, or is it better I, technical? I, see, it's hard because you, you probably say a little bit of everything. You've got to try and get a little bit of everything in um, because there's no point in, in, in getting all the lads down in the gym and making them stronger and faster and everything if they can't control the ball 
-hmm. But likewise, the, the the nature of the game these days is that the, you know, the, there's players coming in that are that are they're not naturally athletes and maybe lads who are technically very good, but lacking in that side a little bit have to become stronger in, in the gym. Then there's the mental side of it to deal with the extra pressures that are thrown in, and you know the the just the, the general pressure of the game today. You know you've got that side of it. I think it's it's very much. It's. I, w I would say it's very hard for a coach to try and address every single thing. You know, if if you were going right, well, you're going to have to develop this player, and you have to cover every base. You know, it it would be tough because there's there's so many elements to it. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a hard one. Uh, just just the nature of the game now. Like, I, it, it was. It's funny because maybe you know I think back to like when I was coming through. And there was no one, you know, there was no sort of psychologists. But then almost the, the environment that I was in just made, you know, I just, that sort of kept me on the straight and narrow, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, I, 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 and, and I sort of had to deal with the pressure. Because so I don't, I don't know if sort of the introduction of some things makes people aware of it. So then they think, oh, well, I need this. And sometimes you, you think, well, if you actually just get in and deal with it, you don't, you, you know, you just have to deal with it. But at the same time, time on the other side of that there's certainly things that can that i wish looking back i had to help you know the in terms of like strength and conditioning and things like that you know that um there probably was very little uh, emphasis on that when i was coming through and it was very much left to my own you know you, you know you, you do it but because i didn't really know what i needed to do i was maybe not doing the right thing um yeah like there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of elements to it uh, it's a it's a tough one to to say well, you need to, we need to concentrate on one one specific thing because it's it is pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. Do you think that we're at an advantage with almost in the way we play with the the physicality of the game is almost coming back that it'll never go out of fashion. Is it is that why we produce better defenders? Um, possibly. Um, uh, that, that that's as you said that's just the nature of maybe of the 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 british game so to speak um but then if, if you know you you look at you look in spain and you look at some of the defenders that they're producing like they're, they're top class defenders but the, their their quality in the ball is is just as good as a you know a central midfielder um so yeah maybe then looking at that you think right well we need to start you know these these guys that are great defenders and can go and head it and win it. We need to you know maybe start developing their their uh, sort of the technical aspects of the game early on. But then then you know it, it's hard to get a gauge for you know how, how much do you need to do before then maybe taken away from something else. It's it's uh, it's I think it's changed. The kids are playing football now from from so young too. Like it's mm. like what, what I think one of the things that maybe helped me. I, I I don't know this for certain. It was just something I, I was actually chatting to someone about it the other day, because um, it's like been playing so long and, and not having injuries and stuff. And I was like, well, I don't really know because I don't think I've ever been the strongest. Certainly on the pitch, not the quickest. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't describe myself as a, as a pure athlete. But when I was a kid, like I just did everything. You know what? I, I did whatever was going to school. I did athletics. I did football or soccer. Um, you know, field hockey. Okay, I just tried my, my you know bit of everything, enjoyed it, and so I guess I was maybe well rounded in that my you know my movements, everything was doing was was asking different things of me at a young age, and my body was developing that way. So it maybe means now that when I'm older, you know I I see kids coming through academies now, and at sixteen they're 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 
17 they're picking up groin injuries and hamstring injuries that you'd associate with sort of older players that have played maybe 10 15 years in the game and i just think they're like are we wearing kids out too you know just by you know football you know they're at school they play football they're back they school they play they play soccer they're back um you know is is that something to think about too in terms of how much we ask physically of them you know we can we can kill them <laughs> kill them with football at times too so it's 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 very it's very it, it's a tough question because there's so many elements to it gary i, I, I honestly I don't know if i can even give you an answer here i've just waffled on but it's a tough one to answer no it's definitely okay i never thought of that before about almost developing too fast on the football side and, and having problems later on but I've, I've definitely seen that with mentally i think that a 17 18 year old is some of them are just done with the game at before you think they've even started you know yeah yeah and, and, and like that sort of you know goes down to the enjoyment of it then um you, you know you, you start taking the enjoyment out of it because it, it's it's you know too much for them too soon and and they're maybe being asked or thrown into something that they can't cope with just quite yet and maybe an extra year's development in, in certain areas that it helps and they get their enjoyment back so yeah it's it's but as i said that that's that comes with the pressures of the game you know in the modern game too which i think is a lot more than what it was when i was around um and it's it's got to be hard on younger players coming through now that the, the pressures just of modern football so it's it's a it's a hard one to, it's a hard one to answer and certainly I'd, I'd imagine it's a pretty difficult one to address all right last couple for you T- toughest questions to last best player played with uh i'd have well i'd say alan Shearer. If, if you're if you're saying like in terms of if you pick a player and saying like best player for what he does mm. it's got to be Shearer because he was phenomenal like he would in training he would finish even from two yards out he would make sure he put it in the back of the net because that's what he did on a saturday that was his standards if you like there was no messing around it was hitting the net uh, and probably for, I'd say for all round, um, I'd say Gary Speed for me was 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 huge. I think all round, just his level of training, his quality, his influence on me as a as a as a younger player coming through. Um, I, I probably you know had the chance to play with lots of like really good players, and but just the impact they had on me, I'd say uh, you know that those two are up there. Best player played against. I got asked this the other day. I can never answer this question. Not not so much that, that I can't think of anyone. It's just because I, I forget about players that I played against like twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, most relevant, I would say, would be Ronaldo. Just if you, you know, he's the most relevant at the minute. I guess go back and uh, played against when I was younger. Uh, Francesco Totti was another one. I'd say jumps out a little bit when I was at Newcastle. We played Roma. And even going right back when I was a, a, a all the way back to like when I was a, a young player at Newcastle, we um, for some of the older older sort of generation might remember it. But our my first sort of World Cup that I remember was at the nineteen ninety World Cup, and uh, when when West Germany then won it, and there was a Thomas Hassler played for for Germany. Yeah. And at the time, I thought he was brilliant. Like I was just at that time, it was my first World Cup. I was total scolacci and all these, and then um, when I first we we played, I think it was the old Inter Total Cup. Or maybe like the old UEFA Cup, like sort of early qualifying rounds. We played eighteen sixty Munich, and uh, I got to man mark um, Thomas Hassler, which for me was unbelievable because I remember watching him as a kid, thinking this guy's unbelievable. Um, so yeah, some people might think that's sort of a random one, but again, it's 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 hard to answer because 
when I've been lucky enough to play international football and play at a, at a high level for a long time. So naturally, you, know, you get to play against like some of the best players in the world. And again, I could spend half an hour just rhyming players off because it's hard to differentiate between the two. But I guess it's it's the ones that stick out in my head, maybe for other little little reasons that people don't think about. So yeah, he's he'd be one of them too. Funny, that's the second time this month Thomas Hessler's come up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, da- Danny Dicchio, uh, exact same story, played against him for yeah. 1860 Munich, and he was right. different gravy, he said. Uh, oh, it's like, that's what they are. Like that, that, they were West Germany back then, uh, you know, and you had Klinsmann, Voller, uh, Matthias, and, and Hassler. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I probably played against Kim, Klinsmann as well when he was at Spurs, actually. I just can't remember off the top of my head, so that would have been up there too, just because of that time that, that World Cup. But, um, yeah, that just when when someone asked me the other day, for some reason that jumped out in my head. Well, I guess it's just it's a bit different to the you know the usual answers that probably everyone hears. Well, then what what about Ronaldo then? I mean, what's how do you play against them? Where do you start? It's very difficult. <laughs> he can go either way. Uh, pace and power, and um, yeah, like it's you just have to just hope that you have a good day, and he has a slight slightly off day because he's one of those players that. Even, even, you know, the, I didn't play in the game, but when the uh, Portugal played at Windsor, I think, um, you know, three two, I think they they won, and I think for the first half he didn't really do too much, and then second half he came out and scored a hat trick, and you know, and won them the game. You know, it did, we just you're talking about a player that's just got that ability to to change games. So, it's you say, how do you play against them? You you just hope you're on your game and. You, you rely on a little bit of help from your teammates too and doubling up and things like that there. You know, it's very hard to do it all by yourself. Mm. I don't think it's it's actually possible to do it by yourself. Oh, he's just a machine, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. You like, and then, actually, Bales would probably be another one who's very similar. You know, we got that sort of athletic build and that. And it's, it, again, it's not just the tactical side of things, it's the power and the pace that they can go past you. You know, you, you give them a yard and, and before you know it, that yard's turned into five. So, that's where sort of the physical side of the game comes in as well as as, as the tactical side of it, and uh, it's it's certainly not easy. Brilliant, Aaron. Thank you so much for your your time and your insight here. Absolutely no brilliant. problem, Gary. Enjoyed no this. All. Yeah, no, that's uh, thanks very much for asking me to do it. And if you move into coaching in the future, we'll get you on again. <laughs> Hi, I'll be coming to pick your brains. <laughs> try and talk you. Out of it. I was going to say I'll pick your brains instead of the other way around. <laughs> uh, no problem, Aaron. Thank you. No problem. Cheers, Gary. Thanks so much to Aaron for his time and his insight there. I told you it was going to be good. Sometimes these podcasts finish in different ways. Sometimes, you know, with people's schedule and, and them giving up their time, they're in a rush to, you know, it usually goes a little longer than we schedule. So sometimes people, it's just, hey, thanks, that was brilliant. And I'll shoot you the link and we'll keep in touch. For Aaron, it was the chat I had after that almost lasted as long as the podcast. So... I had about two hours with Aaron, spoke to him afterwards about different aspects of coaching and his views on it. And it was, I almost wish I had done a part one and a part two. So uh, it just shows you the, the, again, two things for me, the generosity of his time and the humility he has. And we always talk about those things, like the level of self-awareness that it takes to get to the top for coaches and for playing as well. And I think Aaron just exemplifies that there. It's just his professionalism as a person would probably match his professionalism as a player. The big takeaways I took from that as a coach, 
from Aaron's insight was just the environments, the importance of older players, the importance of good people in squads, the importance of teams spending time with each other, the importance of good work, that players believe in that it's good work, that players believe in that it's getting better. And sometimes we think of players' motivation as just waning through their career. As they get more money, they become less motivated and then they hang up their, their boots. And I don't think that's true. I find that Aaron's saying there that he finds that the peak is going to come later in the year in their years. But I also find that the good coaches have a role as well in, in extending these players' careers just by maybe adding one or two things to their game, maybe keeping it interesting for them, maybe giving them one or two more things to think about. And, you know, it, it's not something new because when you look at, again, Arsene Wenger coming and extending the careers of Tony Adams and Lee Dixon and Nigel Winterburn, we automatically assumed that was sports science or that was different diets, but sometimes it's different training methods and sometimes it's different form of communications. And I think we should always be questioning ourselves as coaches if our players are still as interested as they once were. Sometimes we take the easy way out and say, ah, oh, well, they've lost motivation or their heart's not in it. But sometimes it's up to us to kind of reboot the environment, um, change little things, maybe bring one or two people in. And I thought that was a great point from Aaron. In, in, in the players drove all the environments that he was in, but the coaches played a massive role in creating the environment. So uh, that was brilliant. That was brilliant. So thanks so much to Aaron for that. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Love to hear your thoughts about that there. So please, please, please give it a shout out on Twitter, social media, at Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin Instagram, Coach Kernin on Facebook. And then if you want to shoot me a message or have any questions, Gary at modernsoccercoach.com. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com. 